there's always this thing where they have a type. Do you feel like you have that? Can you afford to have that when you're the Rays? Yeah, <laughs> our type is talent. Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode two of the Keith Law Show. I will be joined today by Carlos Rodriguez, who is the vice president of player development and international scouting for the Tampa Bay Rays, who just on Monday of this week, I named as the number one farm system in all of baseball. So before I get to my interview with Carlos, let me just catch everyone up on the content that I've written since the last show dropped. Uh, on Monday, the 24th, my top 100 rankings, the top 100 prospects in all of baseball appeared on The Athletic. All of this stuff is for subscribers to The Athletic. Now, over the course of the that week, I had a post with the prospects who just missed the top 100 and then team-by-team team reports for all 15 American League teams. So all of those are on the site right now. On Monday, March 2nd, my ranking of all 30 farm systems, all in a single file, just ranked 1 to 30, uh, went up for subscribers to The Athletic. And for the remainder of the week, the 15 team reports for the National League teams will go up. The teams from the East go up on Tuesday. The Central go up on Wednesday. And then the West go up on Thursday. And that will conclude the prospect rankings package, which is not to say I won't do other prospect rankings stuff this March. We're still discussing that. But that is uh, the sum total of everything for the prospect rankings package right now over these two weeks, and it's something like 50,000 words of content. So I sort of wrote another book, which is ridiculous because I just wrote a book, uh, which is called The Inside Game. It comes out on April 21st from HarperCollins. Order it wherever fine books are sold. So for subscribers to The Athletic, today I ranked all 30 farm systems, and at the top of the rankings were the Tampa Bay Rays. So that's why I decided to ask my longtime friend, Carlos Rodriguez, who is now the vice president of player development and international scouting for the Rays to come and talk to me about their system, especially since he had a direct hand in signing many of these prospects. So, Carlos, first of all, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Keith. And to be honest with you, I thought this was a podcast about food <laughs> and coffee. So I apologize if I'm ill-prepared. So. Oh, that's okay. I was Luckily, gonna... I, baseball is also high on my interest level, so oh, we perfect. should be okay. Perfect. <laughs> Well, I was going to get a coffee question in before we were done, so uh, I, will, okay. I will make sure we end with that. But first, I, I would like to hear a little bit from you about signing Wander Franco. Obviously, he's my top overall prospect. I think he's the consensus top prospect in the game right now. You signed him as an amateur. Tell us a little bit about when you first saw him and what you saw at that age, too, because I think for a lot of listeners, and even for myself, too, it's the process of signing free agents in the international market is still a little opaque because they're so much younger than the players we're used to talking about on the draft side. Even young high school seniors are older than the players you're scouting when you go to Latin America. Right. Yeah. With Wander, I mean, we, it was really fortunate for us that we were actively scouting Jesus Sanchez at the time who had the same uh, trainer, Rudy Santine. And we got an early glimpse of Wander and, it was actually some excitement on, on Rudy's part where he's like, Hey, I got a guy like, you know, you should, I can't wait for you to see this guy. And so we got a pretty early look at him. I'd say he was probably 14 or so. And, and, uh, really walked away saying, Oh my gosh, like we just saw like the top guy for, I guess now 2017, I think it was. And, um, yeah, I remember just walking away saying, wow, like we have something here um, that could be really special. And it certainly required a significant amount of follow-up and a lot of questions, especially at the investment level that we ended up at. And 
and frankly, like the competition, like it, when, whenever you're competing for players, like it's pretty fierce down there. And there's a lot of really exceptional evaluators and scouts and teams that are really good at what they do. And so, uh, yeah, at the very end, we were just very fortunate to kind of, uh, for the stars to line up and end up with wonder. How young are prospects when you typically see them for the first time? And I'm not talking about signing them and eight agreements, just physically laying eyes on prospects for the first time. Because, again, here, it's if we see a kid who's 14 uh, at an American or Canadian high school, that's unusual. Usually they don't pop on the draft radar till later than that. How young are they when you first when they first show up for you know, workouts? Trainers start bringing those kids out for you to take a look at them. Yeah, it really de- kind of depends on – it depends on the trainer. Some are really showcasing a lot of their top guys pretty early and others kind of like to sort of sit on some of those guys and then showcase them kind of later on. And, but for me and for a lot of our senior kind of evaluators, we're probably getting some of the top prospects. We're getting eyes on them probably like around 14, 15, sometimes even uh, before that, but there's definitely um, a lot of follow-up, uh, between the area scouts, between the cross checkers, the special assignment people. And we usually, we're pretty aggressive in trying to get people in there for evaluations. But uh, for us, yeah, we, it kind of depends on the trainer and the relationship with that trainer. And some we, we see really, really early and, and others we see much later in the process, but over, I would say a couple of years before they're signing. So Franco is obviously a huge you know, he's relatively famous, uh, got a very large bonus relative to what other international prospects get. But within their system, third in your system, uh, I have Vidal Brujan, who was kind of the complete opposite. He was a tiny bonus guy and I think maybe a little more of a non-traditional prospect too. So tell me a bit about sort of the signing of him and how obviously if you thought he'd be this good, you would have given him a million dollars. So what what <laughs> what has changed about him, right, since since you first signed him? Yeah. Yeah, Bruce, he's a great story, and really, it proved a couple things. One of them, the first thing is it proves that it takes the village to get these players to the majors or close to it because of all the, just the the people that are involved with, like, cultural assimilation and language training and, like, strength conditioning and the coaches and, you know, the scouts to get them there. But um, really, and then the other thing is, the other point is that you have to take some chances at sometimes because with brew like really to be honest with you the reason we signed brujan was because he just kept showing up at our tryouts <laughs> and i can't I, I can't tell if he he like just kind of snuck in there or i think we had we had a couple guys that kind of liked him they had a soft spot for him just because the way he played it was grit it was high energy it was just the guy that you wanted on your team and his tools at the time were they weren't what they are now. I mean, he was not. Run, he was running okay, not like he is today. He certainly did not did not have the strength or power. The bat speed was was fair. Good bat to ball skills, uh, and he was kind of like a second base uh, only prospect at that time. And matter of fact, that's kind of how he came up until the tools just exploded. And now he's he's throwing plus and he's running well above average. And there's some real sock in in the bat and it really turned into like a really exciting and dynamic player. Um, but the lesson for us was sometimes you got to kind of zoom out and not get too mechanical with what you're looking at and really like listen to the people who are really fighting for the players. And at that time, we just really liked the way he played. And fortunately for us, his, his talent and his tools, I should say, 
really kind of took a, a huge step forward. One of the prospects, maybe among Ray's prospects, the guy I get the most questions about from readers, and I feel like a lot of it's from fantasy players who are looking at minor league stats, is Joe Ryan, who kind of isn't – if you just looked at the stat line, you'd probably think he was throwing 98 or or had some ridiculous breaking ball, but he's really not that kind of prospect. And you know, One, just you know, give a, a quick thought or two on what he is as, as a prospect, but now that you're also working on the development side too. How do you handle a guy like that who's so non-traditional? Maybe doesn't check the same boxes on the scouting report as traditional prospect, but just keeps having success. Yeah, that's a really fantastic uh, question. And the, the I think the fact of the matter is he's really proved to be a pretty dynamic pitcher in his own right, just in a different way. A lot of it is he's got a pretty good delivery. He repeats it. He commands. We're really with multiple pitches and there's something about his fastball that is really unique with hitters. And maybe it's just how hitters pick it up. And that's, again, that kind of goes back to my previous point about just at times zooming out and just watching the batters and watching their reaction. And certainly there's something in there that maybe they're not picking up on, but beyond that, we still are really strong believers that you have to have weapons to really combat the best of the best in the majors and so we are really, really working with him on, you know, continuing to refine his breaking ball, which this spring has been really fantastic uh, in terms of like the, the, the sign that he's showing with, with that. And as well as, as his changeup that really took a huge step forward last year, his makeup is off the charts as well, that which really kind of helps him uh, with regards to uh, getting to where he's at now, being from like a smaller uh you know, division two college into really exploding to, to the, the pitcher he is today. But really at the end of the day, like we still may, you know, need to make sure that he's able to develop those, those weapons and do as much as we can to prepare him for the majors. So part of why I had your system at the top of the rankings, in addition to all the elite talent you have with six guys on my top 100, is the depth you have in prospects, pretty high upside prospects down at the rookie ball level, John Diaz, Johan Lopez, Alejandro Pie. Talk a little bit, you can talk about any of those prospects if you'd like, but also just talk about the process since you have so many of these guys coming. What are you looking for in players, especially as they're in the DSL and deciding when they're ready to come over to the GCL, which is just, a you know, I think a pretty significant step up both culturally and in terms of caliber of baseball for a lot of those prospects. Mm, that's a really good question. We look for, you're asking in, in terms of when we're signing the players or the decision to bring them to the U.S.? Particularly the decision to bring them to the U.S. Like Lopez came over for, I think, about right, a month last right. year in the GCL. And okay. obviously you saw something you liked that said, okay, he's ready to come over here or we want him over here. Yeah. Again, uh, that's a really, really fantastic question because it, there's not like a formula. It's a really subjective thing. But a lot of it is like based on a few different things. The the production, right? Like how well did this player play? How did he perform relative to where we thought he should be or maybe our own internal expectations? But a lot of it is based on like the physical attributes in order to come over and compete. And then not only that, but just like the emotional maturity to come over. Because as you mentioned, they're stepping into a completely different culture new language, new food, a lot of foreign things that are too, you know, that these players are having to go through for the very first time. 
And so there definitely needs to be some type of emotional maturity to really handle that transition. And we have a pretty fantastic group of people that help aid with that process. But beyond that, it's really a lot of, we're highly dependent on a lot of the feedback that our staff provides, our player development staff, our coaches, our coordinators, that have a much higher level overview of the overall global prospect pipeline that we have. One prospect I specifically wanted to ask about, too, because he was sort of fairly famous when you first signed him was Sandy Gaston, who, mm-hmm. you know, he's got, still got the huge fastball, obviously got two and a half, two point six million, I think it was. So, you know, that's I feel like that's not even a typical raise sign in the sense you just signed a kid who's got a great body and he's got arm strength, but really wasn't that advanced as a pitcher do you target certain guys like do you have you know there's always this thing where they have a type oh this team has a type they like the white Sox. they like college position players in the first round that's their type Mm -hmm. do you feel like you have that or can you afford to have that when you're the Rays? or do you feel like you have to cast a wide net take a chance on an arm strength guy like gaston yeah (laughs) our type is talent you know high (laughs) impact talent i like that type every way we can get it yeah i mean we're definitely on all hands on deck approach type club that we beggars can be choosers. And again, I like when I first got into this, I look around and I'm seeing like these really fabulous evaluators and these teams that have been really crushing it for a long time. And so you don't really have the, the luxury to sit there and get too cute with cherry picking, you know, like some of the guys. And so sometimes when you come across, a talent like Sandy, where it's just, you know, tremendous, you know, physicality, good athleticism, just a huge fastball, really good components that we think that we can project on. And we have a really high level of trust in our own player development, our pitching people, and they've done a really nice job with a lot of our guys. And we have a high level of trust to turn that talent over to, to them. And so when it comes to our type, our type is just, talent and a lot of different shapes and sizes and forms and from whatever country we don't really we're definitely a uh, you know equal opportunity employer when it comes to that uh, as long as uh, we see some some type of impact uh, you know impactful or major league talent type uh, last question before we get to the really important stuff the coffee talk uh, you guys <laughs> traded you traded a pretty significant prospect this winter Matt Liberator and I think a lot of people were surprised. I was probably a little surprised just because we think of the Rays as, no, they hold their prospects because you have to. Um, you, your various front office execs there have told me over the last 10 plus years, we're never signing Garrett Cole, so we have to develop our own pitching especially. So just tell me a little bit. You don't have to talk specifically about the trade if you don't want to, but what what goes into that process of saying, all right, we're we're going to – you know, we have the stable of pitching prospects. We're willing to trade one. Here's the one we might be willing to trade to – fill some other need in this case to go get a Rosarena who I know you guys like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I mean, we're very fortunate in in regards to the, you know, the position that we're at at the major league level and the amount of prospects that we've, we've been able to assemble with, with regards to our farm system. And we're in a position with that. We're, we're constantly trying to, you know, keep an eye on, on the future and on the present and trying to make sure that we find different ways to achieve that objective. And obviously like we thought we feel, you know, we think the world of, of uh, Matt Libertor and think he's going to be a fantastic uh, pitcher and think he's a great prospect. 
but it was something for us that we wanted to make sure that we we were able to thread that needle and try to add talent to our major major league club. And specifically, we just thought it was a really nice fit with regards to Rosarena and Martinez. And just really, those are some sometimes the decisions that don't seem to be the most popular, right? Mm-hmm. Given the prospect cachet and but th- these are decisions that we feel are necessary for us to try to continue to find ways to compete at the major league level while also keeping an eye, an eye on the future. So let's talk coffee. Uh, for listeners who don't haven't followed my blog or any of my other writing, I am very much a fan of sort of small roaster, third wave coffee places. And so is Carlos. And he and I often text. I'd say we probably text about half about players and half about coffee we find on the road. Yeah. I know you're okay. you're also a fan of Panther Coffee in Miami, um, which I love. Mm-hmm. So tell the listeners if they got to go down to Tampa, Clearwater, St. Pete, anywhere around there. Where do you go for coffee? Because actually, it's a pretty good little coffee scene down there now. Yeah, we're we're pretty fortunate. We have a pretty good spot, Bandit, right down the street on Central Ave, mm-hmm. and on the Tampa side, King States. It's really fabulous as well. They do a really nice job, and so uh, those are two, a couple of the spots that that you know we kind of frequent uh down there and bandit being like right down the street from the stadium how about you uh i haven't tried those i've been to buddy brew a few times down there um which a friend of mine who lives in the area had recommended years ago um i'll have to check out bandit Uh, i'll tell you the most recent coffee spot i hit was i went up to university of georgia to see those two pitchers hancock uh, emerson hancock cole wilcox for the draft this year went to um i don't know if you're going to end up seeing them at some point, but I went to a th- it's called One Thousand Faces, the coffee shop right in Athens, uh, which I thought was really good and it was jammed, which is always a good sign at College Town. I guess you should expect a coffee shop to be jammed. Now, on my way back through Atlanta, I hit Spiller Park, which there's two locations: one right in Pond City Market downtown, which is uh, they don't roast their own; they cycle through some micro roasters from around the country. But it's also very baseball themed. Dale Donchi, who owns the place, is a huge baseball fan. And so it's named after the old Negro Leagues park that used to be across the street from there. And when they give you your – instead of giving you a number for your order, you get an old baseball card. So it's it definitely – for baseball fans, it's – it's it will love good coffee. It's an ideal place to head. That's very, very cool. I'll need to make sure that I check that out if I go that way. So in the office, we're going to start coffee with Carlos. Mm-hmm. At some point, we have spring <laughs> training. So, yeah, we have a, we have a little following. Uh, not a following, but we have some coffee aficionados in the, uh, in the office. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. There's a few <laughs> other scouts I know who like very quietly, they'll, they'll tell me, it's like, I like your coffee recommendation. Almost like you don't want to be, <laughs> you don't want to be a snob, right? But I'm like, don't, be a snob, go ahead. It's coffee. Have good, have good coffee. I'm all about good coffee. Um, That's I'm, right. uh, headed down to Orlando this week just to see a couple of amateur players. I'll hit Foxtail, um, which is on the yeah. north side of the city in what that winter park. I mean, there's, I'm absolutely of the belief now that if the city, even a medium sized city anywhere in the country, you can find good coffee. Might take you a couple minutes online or just asking around, but you can probably find good coffee anywhere better than chain coffee. Um, it, you just, it takes a little bit of effort, but then once you find a place that like, I, I, I don't know if you find yourself doing this, but when I travel, I go to the same places year after year. Like there's comfort in, Mm -hmm. Oh, barista parlor in Nashville. That's just my spot. Spiller park in, um, uh, Spiller park in, in Atlanta or cartel in Phoenix. Like I just love going back to those same spots and, sometimes grabbing a bag of beans to take home or just going back to visit the same location 
each time because it's like a home away from home on the road, but that also happens to have good coffee. Yeah, I agree hundred percent with you on the whole, every, every medium, at least medium sized town, there's a little effort required, but you can definitely find some, some pretty good spots. So no Abs- doubt. Absolutely. Life is too short to drink bad coffee. <laughs> Amen to that. Carlos, thank you so much for the time. Thanks so much for uh, giving some of the insight on uh, your system. And I guess congratulations to you guys on having the best farm system in baseball, according to me. (laughs) Thanks for saying that. It's it's greatly appreciated. Most of the baseball folks that I know, they don't typically chase prospect rankings, but it being the lifeblood of the organization, being uh, scouting and player development, it certainly says a lot about the – the quality of people that we have and definitely the, the direction that we're going in. So now we got to try to keep it up. That's Carlos Rodriguez, VP of player development and international scouting for the Tampa Bay Rays. So I put out a call on Twitter for some, essentially some mailbag questions. I've done this a bit when doing podcasts in the past and uh, I like doing it just as a little feature. I'll probably won't do entire shows around it, but uh, I'd like to try to get to you know, three to five of these questions each week. I'll just put out a call on Twitter, uh, you could send it. You, obviously, if you follow me on on Twitter, I'm at Keith Law. Facebook at Keith Law Writer. Instagram Mr. Keith Law. That is mostly pictures of food and board games. But feel free to follow me there also. Anywhere you feel like contacting me, you may send me a question for the podcast. Just make it clear that it is a question for the podcast, and I'll make sure I save it and put it in a file. I got lots of questions. Uh, I'm not going to get to all of them, but thank you so much for sending all of them. I will uh, try to answer a few of them right now. Uh, one I'm going to answer here, even though I answered it on Twitter, just because I think it's a really good question and a particularly relevant question for lots of teams. Uh, Philip R. asked, with him coming off Tommy John surgery, how many innings would you be looking for for Cincinnati Reds prospect Hunter Green to throw this season? And what's a reasonable ETA for the majors now? Green was the second overall pick in 2017. He pitched a little bit 2018, finished really well but blew out his elbow and missed all of 2019. My answer, my short answer on Twitter was I'm guessing he throws 50 to 70 innings in the second half and is probably two full years after that away from the majors. Green was, he'd obviously only pitched one summer in pro ball. He was still pretty raw as a pitcher. He was mostly velocity. He just started finding a a really effective slider as a second pitch. I'm a huge Hunter Green fan. I think he's such a good athlete and I think he's such an intelligent kid that the sky really is the limit when you're talking about his ceiling, but he's so young. He's barely pitched. They're probably not going to rush him back from the surgery. My guess is we don't see him on a mound until at some point in the middle of the summer. And if he just makes regular starts, maybe even 70 innings is too much. I don't know exactly when he's coming back. So at all of that, I think uh, sort of conspires to push back his eventual arrival in the majors. My thought on his ceiling has not really changed because as far as I know, his rehab is going well, and the majority of guys do come back fine from Tommy John surgery. But I think his timetable has shifted pretty dramatically. Do I feel like the industry as a whole – sorry, this is from Tim Rader. I should put names to this too. Uh, do I feel like the industry as a whole is doing a better job evaluating international talent? It seems to be more talent and pushing through the minors pretty quickly or just a typical cyclical trend. I think there have been pretty dramatic changes in how teams evaluate international talent over the last five years especially. Uh, One is that I think that teams are just focusing more on players with more baseball skills, even at the age of 16 when they sign, really like 13 or 14 when they first get scouted. Also, I think that the advent of technologies that allow teams to better measure certain things like spin rates or exit velocity 
uh, including systems, portable devices, Rapsodo and Etrotronic, that they can now bring down to scout players in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela or elsewhere, things they can install actually at their complexes down in the Dominican Republic are probably helping them make some better choices as to which players to uh, which players to sign, particularly which players to target with their biggest bonuses. So it's no longer just going after the kid who throws the hardest, but maybe you want the kid who throws the best quality fastball or who has good velocity but also shows that he can put spin on a breaking ball. Even if you don't think the breaking ball is all that good right now, if he shows he can put a high spin rate on it, you can probably work with that. And so – it ties into what analytics groups are doing. It ties into what player development groups are doing. So we're still seeing big misses. There are plenty of seven-figure bonus guys signed out of Latin America and, and to a lesser extent from East Asia who go nowhere. But I think we're seeing more big hits too. And that is, uh, I think, a function of a different philosophy and some better information coming through uh, from some of these new technologies. Mickey the Tettleton uh, I was trying to remember, is he Frosted Flakes? Mickey Tettleton, there was some kind of breakfast cereal he was a big fan of. I'm showing my age now. Half the listeners probably don't remember who Mickey Tettleton was. Anyway, I don't think this is the actual Mickey Tettleton asking the question. Can you talk about your process of evaluation? What are you looking for at the ballpark or practices? How do you sort through what you hear to confirm or disprove? I did have a post on that my first week or so at The Athletic, so I'd encourage you to go look back. Um, I think the post was called What We Talk About When We Talk About Prospects. A nod to Raymond Carver there. But also, when I go to uh, when I go to the ballpark, my process is pretty straightforward. When I'm going to a game, at least, uh, I'm generally there to see very specific players. I don't have to do what pro, some pro scouts are asked to do a team sheet, which essentially means to write up everybody on the roster that they see playing a game over a three to five day period. I am there for targets, right? I'm just there. You guys care about the prospects. And so I'm focusing on the prospects. And so I will position myself in a place where I can best evaluate those prospects. If it's a pitcher, obviously, I'm behind the plate. If it's just a hitter, when I was at the game between UCLA and Oklahoma State on Friday at the Frisco Classic, I was looking at two left-handed hitters. And so I positioned myself on the third base side so I could watch both those hitters from the open side. When I go to practices, it's different. I'm just there to watch batting practice, maybe infield, outfield. Um, and again, we'll just we'll just position myself to watch those specific players. And there I'm just looking for things like look at their body or look at their swing mechanics, for example. But the second part of the question, how do I sort through what I hear to confirm or disprove? Uh, it is I try to get multiple sources. If I haven't seen the player myself, I try to get multiple sources to see how best I can learn uh, how best I can confirm or, again, disprove what I'm hearing. And if I hear the same thing from multiple sources, uh, particularly if it's something that I've observed myself, I feel far more confident in the evaluation. Where I run into trouble, of course, where I get uh, drastically conflicting notes on a player or if I feel like my personal evaluation conflicts with what I'm hearing from industry sources. And in all those cases, I just try to find more information. That's always the answer is get more input, more insight from different evaluators from different clubs, different evaluators of different backgrounds, because I want to see where, where we can find some kind of consensus that I can then put forth for the readers to be able to give them a coherent opinion. That's all for this week on the Keith Law Show. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on the Athletic app. If you listen on iTunes or any other podcast app that allows you to do so, please leave a five-star rating and a review. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Just tell everybody to listen to the show. Thank you so much to everybody who left uh, glowing reviews and five-star ratings on iTunes. It really does help because it just provides more visibility for the podcast where people can find us and we can keep this thing rolling. I will be back next Monday with a new episode. Thanks again. Thanks again.